Well, good morning, church. Today is the launch of our Fearsome series, and uh, Kimberly just mentioned it. I am uh, very much in anticipation of this series. I I encourage you right now to make the decision not to miss a week. And if you have to miss a week on a Sunday, for whatever reason, to tune in midweek. You can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it on the podcast. We are now offering, um, if you would like, we are now offering the opportunity for you to join the service as well via Zoom. Great way to do that because it also reminds us that we're not in this by ourselves. I can see right now, I can see Jasmine Brackenberry, Rachel Collins, Tammy Murray. I can see Marley uh, in the screen. And if you're on Zoom right now with us and you do not have your camera on, I highly encourage you to turn it on so uh, you can encourage me as I encourage you as I preach this morning to you. I've got your faces right in front of me. Well, I do have great anticipation for this series called Fearsome. And uh, and fearsome itself is, is sort of an interesting word because fearsome has two meanings. The meaning of fearsome, firstly, is causing fear or causing awe or respect. It seems like nearly the opposite meanings, really. Well, we want to say thank you to Rachel Collins in Kelowna for the fearsome series title. Even the imagery that we've chosen for this series, I don't know if you've seen the pictures around and we've sort of tried to replicate it here in the studio, a picture of a a lion roaring in the color red. Even the imagery of the lion uh, may give you feelings of awe, respect, or feelings of terror. Even just in the world of Christendom, the lion holds significant meaning and emotion. Whether you're drawn to the Bible, uh, the Bible reference where Judah, the son of Jacob, is told that he, or is praised for the whelp, having the whelp of a lion, or you're used to the reference of, in the book of Revelation, of the lion of Judah, which is understood to be a reference of Jesus himself, or whether your mind turns in awe and uh, turns from awe and wonder and turns instead to maybe concern where you look in the book of First Peter, where Peter tells us that we must be diligent because it says our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The lion itself does not give us fear nor awe, but rather how we see it determines what we experience in that moment. Or maybe you're a child of the 80s and 90s and you didn't think much of anything to do with the Bible and all you really thought about was Lion King, which my children were more than happy to uh, watch with me over the last few weeks and assist me in this series. Either way, I want to thank um, Vanessa Von Holst in, our Vernon, uh, in Vernon here for the imagery for this series. Before we get into the message that I have to share specifically for today, because you got four weeks of fearsome, uh, I want to highlight this verse to you. It's, it's found in the second letter written to Thim- Timothy by his spiritual father uh, or teacher in Jesus. Um, he's being prepared for leading the church. Timothy is about to head into a church that has all but fallen apart. <laughs> and Paul, unknowing to him at the time, but suspected by Paul, is about to die. Paul pens this letter of direction and clarification to Timothy so that Timothy won't be deceived. Now, whether you are in your journey, wherever you are in your journey or relationship with Jesus, can I remind you today that the tool of the enemy, our adversary, or the one who desires for us to pursue death and not life is primarily deception. Not nearly as often in a pervasive way, but far more subtly. This is the strength of the church. Not that we are clones of one another, but in fact that we are not. 
that my understanding and revelation of Jesus had come out of my experience and my relationship with him, and yours is very much the same way. As we share them together, we are confronted, encouraged, convicted, and inspired to do good works for others. Ultimately, we are given a wider and deeper picture of love. One we can never fully comprehend alone. As the Bible says, then you being rooted and grounded in love will have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length, the width, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. Found in Ephesians 3 verse 8. Well, let me move and open this series with you with this verse. Perhaps you'd be even willing uh, to say it out loud alongside me, not allowing these to be words that I'm going to preach at you, but these to be words that remind, uh, remind your soul of truth in its authority in Christ. Would you say this with me? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We're going to say that again because I saw only Russ joining with me in saying that. So we'll do it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Second, or Second Timothy 1 verse 7. Would you bow your heads wherever you are and we're going to pray. Jesus, today, your presence will remain with us. Your peace will circumvent us. And we will see the truth of the circumstances and we will see the truth that is found in you. Open our ears to hear and our minds to see what the Lord wants to speak to us today. Well, if we're going to kick off a series on fearsome with a giant roaring lion, as is the emblem of this series, we must do ourselves the proper service of addressing the lions head on. As you are taking notes this morning, you can write these two things down. Firstly, this, this is the title of my message, which you'll find on the screen. It's this, you can find me in the pit. The title of my message is, you can find me in the pit. And secondly, I want you to write this down. There's another choice. There's another choice. There was a man uh, in a country called Babylon many years ago. He came from a lineage of churchgoers. He knew the rights and wrongs that he should do, but, you know, an interesting thing about being from the lineage of churchgoers is knowing the right thing or the wrong thing to do doesn't mean you have a personal conviction of it. It doesn't mean you've got a relationship with Jesus. It means from external views, you've got a handle on it. But how many of you know what we see externally doesn't necessarily indicate what's happening internally? But we can never live on borrowed revelation. Because we never be sustained on what someone else believes or someone else experiences. We can be encouraged by it. And I, I hope we are encouraged by the experience of others, the experiences others have had in relationship with Jesus. Encouraged enough to develop and cultivate our own relationship with him. Ultimately, we are self-accountable for our actions, our beliefs, and our relationship with him. As a pastor, that's freeing. My goal and heart's desire is that each and every one of you would know what it's like to have a personal relationship with Jesus, where you can discover what it means in Galatians 5 verse 1, where it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Because although he has paid for our freedom, we can unintentionally or intentionally find ourselves bound or in bondage or enslaved by the very things he paid to free us from. So this man in Babylon... 
He knew the right things. He understood the matters of right and wrong and experienced truth that provides freedom. And he finds himself in circumstances that are nothing ideal. His country is overtaken. And he's a young man and he's enslaved. The king of the time asks for good-looking, strong men, men of royal lineage to be trained for three years to be part of his leadership. They call them the sons of captivity. That's what they're called, the sons of captivity. Sometimes we have no control over the words that are spoken over us, but we do have the power of how or if those words are rooted in us. Words like unworthy, unlovable, words like fear and worry, Today, there are many words that people would like to call us, but we get to determine the ones that we carry in our life. These men are in a situation where they're asked to consume food that based on their understanding of right and wrong, this food was wrong. (laughs) So they make the obvious conclusion that they should be vegetarians. They tell the leaders to test them, give them vegetables and water for 10 days and see if they are faring any worse or better than their companions. Of course, when they are tested 10 days later, they are doing better than their counterparts that have been eating the unclean meat or the meat that was uh, uh, sacrificed to idols. Now, that's a great little story, a great justification for vegetarians everywhere. (laughs) A wonderful image of what it means to exercise your faith. But a more important message of where, the concept of, of where the concept of right and wrong had to take root in their lives and not remain hypothetical. A theory that God would prove if they were obedient or trusting. Where it wasn't a matter of the knowledge of their history as churchgoers, but it became a matter of personal revelation. Of course, this story is found in the book of Daniel, and we follow along in this book titled Daniel. We follow these stories back and forth of a king who desired power in a country that was a superpower in its day, a place of authority. And these men, these sons of captivity, constantly are put in situations where they will honor the conviction of their conscience and their faith in the God of Israel, who we now understand to be Jesus and Father God whether he would honor their situation. The account takes us to the crux of a moment in the infamous story of this man, Daniel, a man who was a son of captivity, yet constantly had power in the country he was exiled into. doesn't make any sense. When he heard from God and responded through interpretation of what the king's dreams were, sometimes he would even tell the king what the king's dreams had been and then interpret it without the king saying anything. The king, the King Nebuchadnezzar, a name that obviously sounds like a Pokemon, he would see the miraculous interpretations that Daniel would bring and he would proclaim that God of Israel was the one true God. And then he would go on with pride, raising up the country in his own voice, in his own manner of pride. How quickly he forgot the God of power. Well, as we get to the crux of the story of Daniel, we find him as the third in charge. King Nebuchadnezzar has passed along that the, the uh, empire of Babylon has been taken over by a new empire. Daniel, who was about 20 when he was taken as captivity, lived through the whole reign of Babylon, 70 years, and we find him at this spot where a new country has taken over the rule, and he's around 90 years old. Just a young buck. <laughs> well, the crux of the story, we find him. He's third in charge. A new nation's taken over still a son of captivity, but now continuing in captivity under a new ruler. 
This does not sound like my understanding of what I believe a life with Jesus is supposed to look like, but yet he still had a life with God, even though he remained in captivity for 70 years under varying rules and favor as a person who was an exile, a son of captivity, favor in rule. He's third in charge. People aren't happy with him because he's wise, he's influential, and he's a son of captivity. The other leaders conjure up a plan to bring fault against him. And they find that as a 90-year-old captive, he is blameless. The only fault they think they could catch him on is his devotion to the disciplines of worshiping God. They convinced the leader of the country to make a decree that there shall be no worship to any other God. Now, Babylon was, was a highly, uh, it was a spiritual Mecca, I could say that. So they, they uh, convinced the, the leader of the country, the king of the country, to make a decree that they could worship no other God for 30 days but the leader of the country. Daniel had lived there for decades. Historians through excavation tell us the city had 53 temples and 180 altars to Ashtar, their god. He had lived 70 years in faith to the God of Israel, surrounded by a spiritual mecca of alternative belief. As Daniel hears of this decree, this decree that states that anyone found worshiping in another God than the leader Darius of the country will be thrown into the den of lions. Daniel continues as he always did. He continues in the discipline that was not of someone else. He's, he's moved from the lifestyle of a uh, born and raised churchgoer into the personal revelation of a relationship with God. Now, this wasn't religious duty when he goes to pray three times that day, but it was of personal conviction. He went to his house as he always did. He opened the windows as he always did. He knelt to pray as he always did. He continued in the relationship he had with God because irrelevant of what he experienced before or whatever captivity he, had, he knew that beyond the circumstances and situations he found himself, his reliance of continuous discipline in relationship with God was the sustenance of his life. That in fact, Daniel was not his own. That the fact that, uh, uh, that, that in fact, the world he experienced, the world he led in, may not be just. In fact, the world he was living in was rarely just. <laughs> to have lived so many years of his life in captivity in a world that served a God that was not the living God, that his leader whom he had served well and had least acknowledged and had at least acknowledged his God was now gone. That he was not able to be found without fault except for in his devotion and reliance on God. That although the circumstances and situations were not what he, he may want, he knew not to lose sight of his personal relationship with God. Wow. Now the leaders came in to declare to Daniel, or sorry, to Darius that Daniel was praying. And the fact, and, and when, Dan, when Darius heard this, Darius was brokenhearted. He wasn't brokenhearted as a king because Daniel wasn't praying to him. 
but because he had been tricked into decreeing something that would work against a man he respected, honored, and wished, would wish no harm. It displeased, he was displeased with himself. Of course, he was struck with the powers he was given, and he sends Daniel into the lion's den. We're going to uh, show this verse, and we're going to take it from here on Daniel 6, 16 to 24. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. This is the king who does not serve this God. This is the king who does not have a relationship with the living God. This is the king not making a hopeful statement, but a firm statement. He declares that the living God will save him. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Can I, I say something on the side for a moment here? When Daniel went to pray, after he heard the decree that whoever, whoever prayed to someone else uh, would be sent into a lion's den, he was 90 years old. He had led in the country for 70 years in various capacities. He did not go and pray and assume that God would save him from getting thrown into a lion's den. He knew that was going to happen. He just knew his personal relationship with Jesus was more important. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before, and, uh, brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Next verse. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste. He ran to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king uh, spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever or whatever was, uh, was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all the bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Now, church, we're, we're just getting started today in our series on fearsome. And the truth is, I feel a desire to preach into this circumstance. Just as fearsome can be the causation of fear or of awe and respect, this is an opportunity for us to determine this over the circumstances in our life. Here's Daniel, an old man, positioned in a place where every circumstance has come against him. And he's going to be thrown into a lion's den. But he did not proceed with fear. He proceeded with consistency of action to who God was in his personal world. Now you may find the spirit of fear invading your world from one or maybe all directions in this season. 
You may be thrown into a pit only to encounter not lions, uh, not, uh, sorry, you may, you may be thrown into a pit only to encounter not only lions, but maybe be exposed to more vicious characters than you'd already be encountered on the surface. You've impressed on all sides, but I'm, I'm here to tell you and encourage you in your circumstances. You may be in the pit, but Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, the living God, he can find you in the pit. And you can find him in the pit. Daniel was thrown into an impossible circumstance that justified every fear and concern imaginable, but God met him in the pit. He met him when the adversity, adversary sought who he could devour like a lion. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 reminds us, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you something that may not be what your mind or your circumstances are telling you. Let me for a moment ingest some truth into the situation you're in right now, because Jesus tells us if we abide in his word, we will know the truth and that it will set us free. In John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I can, I be clear about something that fear is not freedom. Again, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That very first verse I opened this message with. Now, it seems mostly redundant to say it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, but it's to remind us that although Jesus has paid an entire price for our freedom, we can allow accidentally ourselves to step back into bondage. Freedom has been paid for us, and the only power that fear or lack of freedom has over us is the power we give it. Unfortunately, it's also a personal thing here today. I can't actually say that I know whether a spirit of fear has invaded your life. Only you can tell me if a spirit of fear has invaded your life. Now, we are in a situation in a world that the spirit of fear is infiltrating much of our life. Now, it's not as simple as, me, as we may want to make it seem. And... You know, fear is, fear is a, a response in our body meant to protect us from evil. I promise you, if today in the studio a lion walked in here, there would be some fear responses that penetrated through my body. Where the part of my brain, the amygdala, sends out uh, different chemicals through my body. It takes away the, the uh, blood flow to the digestive system. It throws the blood flow to my muscles. It prepares me for what we call the fight and flight. To be prepared that the, the, um, the thing in front of me, the danger in front of me, either I am prepared to fight it or to run away from it. Now, fear is healthy for us in the capacity that it prevents us from danger. Now, the spirit of fear is an entirely different beast. The spirit of fear is what happens when fear infiltrates our life, that it isn't a momentary response, but it is a response that we step out into in all of our life. That first verse, that caution that Paul gives Timothy, where he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Let me tell you, fear has infiltrated your life if you are no longer operating in love, in power, and in soundness of mind. It's not as simple as whether you believe in vaccines or masks. Or if you don't. I know this will not be a popular thought, and I'm not here to give you my opinion. Let me be very clear. This platform is not a place for my opinion. This is a place for Jesus Christ. But I know that I can wear a mask in fear. I know that I cannot wear a mask in fear. I know I can be afraid to get a vaccine, and I can know I can be afraid to not get a vaccine. The question is not about the circumstances in the situation that we go through right now, but it is actually about recognizing whether the power of fear has infiltrated itself into our life. Because when those circumstances are gone, fear will still remain if you've given it power in your life. And I'm here to say to you today, to encourage you with everything inside of me, that we cannot allow fear to take over the power in our lives today. Not for me, not for you. In the same way that we have been given the authority in Christ over the power of fear in our world, we have been given that authority not just personally, but over our cities and our communities. This week on Wednesday during our scatter of prayer, we went out and prayed over our cities against the spirit of fear. Because we will have cities and communities that are full of love, of power, and of soundness of mind. Do you want to know an interesting thing about the biological response to fear? It sets us up to fight or flight. But at the same time that it sets us up for fight and flight, it takes away our ability for reason and logic. It tells us when you hear the brustling of leaves on your front door, it tells you to prepare for a robber coming in the door, not to listen for the leaves on the door. When fear infiltrates your life, you lose the ability for logic and soundness of mind. It's not about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, because I can tell you, I don't know the condition of your heart just like you don't know the condition of mine. I can't live on your revelation, just like you can't live on my revelation. I need to take this into the prayer closet. I need to take this into a place where I've communed and listened not to the words of the world or the words and the opinions of others, but I have heard a word from Jesus. I need to be like a Daniel that when the turmoil of life comes around me, I go back to the consistency I've already been in. I just went back and did the same thing. I didn't suddenly do something aggressive and offensive that was different than I ever did before. I just continued in my personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I say with great confidence that your actions and the actions themselves are not an indication of fear or not. As no one can see the motivations of your heart except for the Lord. So let's be careful that in our desire to prevent and advocate against the spirit of fear, that we do not wage a war of flesh and blood that we were not called to wage. 
We were called to wage a war in the heavenly realms. If you've yet to wage a war in the heavenly realms, you are ill-prepared to wage any war in the flesh and blood. Not a war that is lost, for rather, our weapons of warfare are powerful to pull down strongholds. To bring every thought captive to the obedience of God. That's our primary call to our own thoughts and not to the thoughts of others. To bring my own thoughts into obedience to the word of God. You remain personally in power and responsible for your own thought life and your own acquisition and position of freedom. I want to so badly be the person who can abdicate and provide freedom in your life. I want to. But it's you who has to do it. Just like every good parent wants good things for their child, but ultimately it still is their child's decision to make the right choices towards freedom in their life. It's not your parents' decision for you or responsibility for you. It's not your spouse's responsibility. It's not your pastor's responsibility. It's not your location leads. It's not your friends. It is your responsibility to take hold of the freedom that has already been paid. Remember, Christ, it's for freedom that Christ came that we may be free. Freedom is already ours. The devil has no power. The spirit of fear has no power except for the convincing of us that he does. He has no power. But there's a power that resides in us and it is capable of taking away the desired possession of the spirit of fear in the lives around us. Because fear takes away our logic. It takes away our ability to function. And ultimately, fear takes away our freedom. Uh, I, I know I've said this, but that's in my notes. So I'm going to continue saying it again. <laughs> Please hear me when I say that I'm not speaking for nor against masks. I'm not speaking for nor against lockdowns. I'm not speaking for nor against social distancing or anything of these restrictions or precautions that we are in around the world right now. Primarily, I'm not doing that because this platform is not a place for my opinions. Secondly, because based on my understanding of scripture, the love of people and the ability to preach and speak to them also overrules my opinion. And lastly, because this is a platform to proclaim and lift up the name of Jesus in our situation and circumstances, to wage the proper war. Here's what I am to say. There's a spirit of fear that would like to isolate us from others and from our Heavenly Father. And when I'm being pitted against others in a cause of division, and when I'm being thrown into a pit with lions, there's a human reaction that tells me to be afraid, to fear, to anticipate destruction, to focus more on the opposition in my world than the freedom that has been paid for me. This is not a declaration that there are not things we have to be wise about, but we must stand on guard that fear has not taken the driving seat of our lives. Natural fear prevents us from stepping into danger. Much like terror, it is a momentary response to an unexpected circumstance. The spirit of fear is when we have handed over our decision-making authority and ultimately our lordship to the power of fear. The spirit of fear says, I am in control of your life. 
But the spirit of God is one of love, of power, and of a sound mind. All things that the spirit of fear desires to steal from us. There is an adversary, and he looks around for those whom he can consume. Not to consume, though, through means of sickness, not through means of disease, not through means of caution, but through means of fear. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is not for fear that Christ has set us free. Let me sum this up in a few small points. Sorry, I just really got into preaching this morning. The spirit of fear desires to debilitate us from the freedom in our life. We are all susceptible to the spirit of fear, each and every one of us. And only we can definitively answer if we've been overpowered by it. Every child of God, which is all humanity, and everyone who has a relationship with Jesus, when they recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, holds the power over the spirit of fear. I would like to end this message offering a bit of an odd ending to how I would normally preach. But in our lives, we have encountered, uh, but in our lives, we may have encountered fear and maybe we even recognize its prevalence in our lives, but we don't really know what to do with it. Psychology would tell us that we need to face our fear incrementally to overcome it, and that holds some truth. But when it comes to something that has taken hold in the spiritual realm, we must expel it in the spiritual realm. Would you take a moment to say this prayer alongside me? And if you would be so bold, not just to mutter it in our mind, but to proclaim this prayer with our voice out loud in the comfort of our home. I ultimately believe that our words hold our power, not our thoughts hold our power. So in a moment, I'm going to give you a prayer that I would love for you to pray with me. Honestly, it's a prayer I've been praying over my house, over my children, over myself, over the last few months. Because we are all susceptible to a spirit of fear. This is the prayer. If you desire for freedom that is available through Jesus. If you want to take personal responsibility, this is the prayer I encourage you to pray after me this morning. In the authority of Jesus, the living God who has made me a joint heir in his family, I tell fear to leave, to restore in myself in my household and in my city, the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Fear, you have no authority here. And devil, you have to leave. In Jesus' name, amen.